Let us pray. God, take our ears and hear through them. Take our minds and think through them. And take our hearts and set them on fire. For Christ's sake we pray. Amen. Well, this morning I had a, a plan to talk about St. Valentine, Valentinus of the third century. It seemed like a fitting topic, uh, more so than the Super Bowl, I suppose. But then on Monday morning, as I sat down and started to prepare, uh, we got the news that Ernst Friesen had died. And last week, Bert Kalinske died. In December, Pat Smith died. Before that, Sharon Moyer died. And I know that some of you have suffered terrible losses uh, in your families. And collectively, in this country, we've experienced the, the devastating impact of 900,000 COVID-related deaths. That kind of cumulative grief can be crushing. So St. Valentine will have to wait for another year. And instead, this morning, uh, I want us to talk about grief. Grief that envelops us when someone we love dies, or when a relationship ends or when something that we've hoped for, we dreamed about, we worked for, comes to an end. I wanna talk about our grief, and about the grief, uh, the numbness, the sorrow, the pain, borne by friends, by family, maybe it's a parent, maybe it's a spouse, by colleagues, by neighbors. In my time here as pastor at Portland Mennonite Church, um, there are whole years when I don't remember us having a single funeral for someone in our congregation. We don't have a lot of experience with grief here. So when someone we love dies, some of us hardly know what to expect. Grief catches us by surprise, and then it keeps catching us by surprise. You know, Anne Lamott in her book, um, Traveling Mercies, describes, describes grief as being like a lazy Susan. You know what a lazy Susan is? It's that round tray that's on a table and it turns around so you can get the salt and the pepper and the butter or whatever. She writes, uh, grief is like a lazy Susan. One day it's heavy and underwater. And the next day it spins and stops at loud and rageful. And the next day at wounded keening. And the next day numbness, silence. We don't know what to expect. We don't know if we're doing it right. Maybe you've been told you're doing it wrong. And when someone we know is bearing grief, uh, we sometimes hardly know what to do. We don't want to say the wrong thing, so sometimes we don't say anything, or we avoid them, or we go on and pretend like nothing really happened. C.S. Lewis, after the death of his wife, Joy Davidman, kept a journal, and it was later published as a grief observed. And I want to read one of the entries that he, uh, he made. Now, granted, this comes from a different time and a different culture, but it still rings true. So Lewis wrote, um, an odd byproduct of my loss, that is the death of his wife, is that I'm aware of being an embarrassment to everyone I meet. At work, at the club, in the street, I see people as they approach me, trying to make up their minds whether they'll say something about it or not. I hate it if they do and if they don't. Some funk it altogether, R, that is a friend of his, has been, avoid, has been avoiding me for a week. I like best the well-brought-up well young men, almost boys, who walk up to me as if I were a dentist, turn very red, get it over, and then edge away to the bar as quickly as they decently can. Perhaps the bereaved ought to be isolated in special settlements like lepers. 
Well, let me read one more. He writes to, in another entry, he writes, to some I'm worse than an embarrassment. I am a death's head. Whenever I meet a happily married pair, I can feel them both thinking one or other of us must someday be as he is now. What is grief? How do we live with it? How do we live through grief when death or loss or pain strikes in? How as a congregation do we bear one another's burdens? How as a community can we be a congregation of healing and of hope? I suspect that I have less experience with grief than many of you. And so rather than uh, try to read several books in a week and get up here and sound like I know what I'm talking about, I've instead asked two people from our congregation to draw on their training and their experience to talk with us about grief today. And so first we're gonna hear from Phil Lighty. Uh, he's a psychologist, he's been in private practice for many years. Uh, he's also a Stephen minister. And then second, we're gonna hear from Bree uh, Kruger. Uh, she's a healthcare chaplain specializing in end of life care. She works for the Providence Hospice System. They're both gonna join us uh, via Zoom this morning. So if you're on Zoom or Facebook, you don't have to do anything. Here, we're going to take a moment to get it set up so they can uh, be streamed into the sanctuary. So we'll hear from Phil first and then from Bree. Testing, is it working? Good, good morning. Grief is a process, an ongoing process of healing. It flows through about five stages. These stages are uh, from the work of Elizabeth Kubler-Ross back in the early 60s when she worked with uh, dying patients. Um, but I've adapted them for people who are grieving over the loss of a loved one. And these stages have been um, modified, added to, uh, criticized over the years by many, but these uh, stages still stand. And I know for some of you, this will be a refresher. Uh, the first uh, stage is one of grief, of shock or denial. Uh, it sounds like, oh no, this can't be. And if you think of a person in shock, sometimes they just shut down. The second stage, um, I'll call a stage of regret. Uh, that if it's that if only feeling, what if I had only done this or that, said this or that, or sometimes grief sets in. I'm sorry, and sometimes guilt sets in. That can be for a number of reasons. Often it's because uh, they weren't there at the time that their loved one passed at that very moment. Other times it can be some of the shoulda, woulda, coulda, things that were left unsaid or a sudden accident and the person is gone. Keep in mind that these stages do not represent a smooth or linear process. There's no 
perfect model for grieving. But they appear and they reappear along the way. The third one, the third stage is one of anger. It may be anger at God, at fate, at doctors, even at the person who's left. And this can be one of the most difficult stages, especially if one feels some, some anger at the person who's passed. But that's a normal response. Anger is an important part of the grieving process. The fourth stage is one of depression. It's what we normally think of as grief. It's a time of sadness, of quiet, of withdrawal, withdrawal into oneself. The last stage, the fifth stage is one of acceptance. It's a sense of calm regard for the loss that's transpired. As we sang, it is well with my soul. Were the words of Christ, Father, into thy hands, I commit my spirit. And I could go on with, uh, with more examples, but I share these as normal, healthy expressions of grief. And as I said, a person may find themselves self bouncing between stages, may have grieved for a long time and arrived at some acceptance, but then find themselves falling back into sadness or even anger or even shock, not believing what's happened, not being able to comprehend what's happened. And that can be the case, especially with a significant loss or a profound loss. A significant loss could last from one to three years. A profound loss of a child, an adult child or a longtime spouse may never heal. Lesser losses also uh, elicit grief in us. Uh, we might think of a, a move from one neighborhood that you've been in for some time. And there's a loss of those connections, of that familiarity. Uh, other losses can be uh, a youngster going to school for the first time or even uh, an older student going off to college. And COVID has given us more than ample reason to grieve these past two years. So many losses, personal losses of freedom, of safety, losses of occasions to get together socially or with family. And so we're we're all grieving to some degree, as Rod mentioned, this cumulative grief that we're feeling. Even the loss, I shouldn't say even the loss, but the loss of a pet can also trigger a significant grieving process. It's important not to underestimate the, uh, the impact of the loss of a pet. So I believe that grieving is a spiritual as well as an emotional healing process. And my prayer for all of us is that we would have 
voices to give permission to those who are grieving, ears to hear the stories of those who have passed on, and open hearts to share in the pain of su and suffering that those who are grieving experience. Thank you. Hi, thank you, Phil. Um, for those that, that may not know me, my name's Bree. Um, I am a chaplain. I work for Providence Hospice. Um, I And I've provided a lot of bereavement support um, over the last decade. And um, also I'm gonna be speaking out of my own experience of profound loss. Um, my father died unexpectedly when I was 26 and in seminary. So um, really worked through a, uh, uh, had a really complicated grief, grief and theological journey um, with that experience. So I wanted to talk a little bit today about um, the experience of grief um, for, for communities, and, but then also for those who, who are experiencing loss. Um, so grief is a completely unique experience um, for everyone. Um, no two grief journeys are the same, just as no relationship is the same. Um, there's no right way to feel or act, um, and there's no timeline. Um, there, you should, if you're grieving, free yourself from, from telling yourself, I should be feeling this by now. Um, there's, there's, it's a, it's a, it's a, a journey. We, we always like to call, um, say that we're on a faith journey, um, here at PMC. And it's the same thing. It's a, it's a grief journey. There's you can't always anticipate um, what you will feel or, or experience. Um, um, sometimes our, our faith beliefs and church culture can, can limit what one feels allowed to experience uh, when they're grieving. Um, someone might say, if, you know, if I have this hope in heaven, then, then why do I feel hopeless today? Um, how do I really, how do I really know what is true? Um, even, even today, like the, you know, our, the scripture reading said, um, let us not grieve like those who don't have hope. Um, sometimes the idea of eternal hope is just too big and you need just maybe hope for the day or hope for the hour and that's okay. Um, also when someone is grieving, um, they, they might be, and someone asks, you know, at church asks them, oh, how are you doing? They might think, um, how honest can I be with this person? Um, do I tell them how I'm really doing or do I say what, what I think they want to hear? Um, so it, it can be um, hard as a church community to, to be one who's grieving, but then also be there for those who, who have experienced loss. So first I wanna speak to, um, kind of our congregation at large and um, friends of those who have, who have lost someone. Um, I'm gonna talk about three types of friends that um, someone may, may need to move through the grief process. Um, one type of friendship that, that someone needs is someone that they can be emotionally honest with, um, someone that they feel safe to express feelings of sadness, feelings of anger, feelings maybe even of relief without, without judgment. Um, you know, 
Stephen Ministry is um, a great resource for this. If you don't necessarily have have a go to someone that you feel like you can be honest about how you're feeling, um, a grief counselor is also um, can be a good friend um, in time of need as well. A second type of friend that that one might need when they're grieving is somebody that you can depend on practically, um, someone that you can asked to do a specific task, whether that is help with meals or sort out belongings, um, maybe having someone go with you to help update financial accounts or, or plan a memorial service. Um, specific tasks that someone may not have the energy or mental bandwidth to really do by themselves. Um, so maybe, maybe you see yourself as a friend that can help with more practical tasks. A third type of friendship that is really important when someone's grieving is a friend that you can just take a break with to step away from grieving. Um, somebody who is not going to treat you so delicate that you can't just go for a hike or go out for dinner or go to a movie with. Um, somebody that's not going to treat you like an outsider, but just allow you to feel normal for an afternoon or an evening. Um, those are really important friendships as well when you're grieving. Um, so, you know, as in talking to, to us as a, a faith community, maybe know um, maybe which one of those types of friendships that you can offer to be to someone and have the grace to go with the flow, um, you know, if if feelings or changes arise, you know, when you're, when you're providing, uh, when you're enjoying time with that person. So, um, and finally, I want to say something for those who are actively grieving, whether you're grieving a loss from this week or last year or 10 years ago. Um, when, when my dad died, one of my seminary professors, um, she said the most profound thing to me um, about, a few, about two weeks after he died. She just came up to me and said, I want you to stop everything and be excessively kind to yourself. That's it. That's it. Be excessively kind to yourself. And, and that, that, was, um, that was the word I needed to hear. Um, to help move through the grief process. Um, so I, I offer that to you now. Um, if you're grieving today, be kind to yourself. Wherever you, wh whatever feelings you're feeling, whatever challenges you're facing, um, uh, offer, your, the, offer yourself the gift of grace. Um, I also... Um, want to encourage you to gift yourself the space you need to be present to memories and emotions when they arise. Um, those memories and emotions are the guides that will see you through the journey. And also know you're not alone. Um, know that you can reach out to somebody that you trust, that there are grief support options um, when things feel like they're becoming overwhelming. And know, as, as the psalmist said in, in today's psalm, um, know that the Lord is your keeper, um, that he is watching over you. Um, and there are those of us who, who love you and are holding you in our hearts. So um, 
piece to each one of you today. Thank you. Take care. Well, thank you, Phil, and uh, thank you, Bree. When grief comes, we do want to have faith that the words of the psalmist are true. I lift my eyes up to the hills from where will my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. The Lord will keep your going out, your coming in from this time on and forevermore. We want to trust, we want to hope, we want to believe that we can grieve, as Paul writes, but not as those who are without hope. But to live with that kind of faith, that kind of hope, we need each other. We need each other to help us trust that the worst things are never the last things. We need each other to embody the presence, the care, the comfort, the love of God. Sometimes we can be a practical friend, as Bree said. Sometimes we can be the friend that another person can be completely honest with. Sometimes the friend that can um, distract for a moment. We also, as Bree said, um, and as Phil is part of, have uh, folks who are specially trained here as Stephen ministers. If that would be helpful for you, or if you'd just like to learn more, Diane Hoagie is the pastor that works most closely with that ministry here, so please contact Diane. And then after the service uh, this morning, uh, we're going to have some people available up front. So Diane, one of our pastors here, uh, Ed Shirk, Shirk, who's one of our elders, and Karen Hartman, who's a chaplain in our congregation working in Portland as well. They'll be up here. Uh, just come on up if you'd like to talk with someone or pray with someone. Uh, they'll each be holding a candle, a lit candle, because we trust that the light of Christ shines uh, in the darkness, and the darkness cannot overcome it. Thanks be to God. Amen.